very, it's very powerful in that sense. So if you're just tuning in to Retrospection Radio Hour, uh, or you are only listening on the podcast, be sure to tune in for the first 15, 20 minutes of every show on uh, tncmedia.org at 97.5 WOPN, The Wild Card, or you can find us on TuneIn or iHeartRadio. You'll be able to listen to the music blocks, and uh, every decade that we do, we have music that goes along with the decade. So we just discussed a little bit about Vera Lynn, and we'll meet again, and next week we'll do some of the music from that time period, too. So we're going to hop right into 1930. But before we do that, let's do a bit of a recap. 1929, what happened? The Great Depression started. Yes, like <clears throat> it was like November or something, just right at the end of 1929 leading into uh, 1930. Nine. So sources tend to argue between end of 1929 or beginning of 1930. 1930 when the wall caved in. That's right. Uh, we learned a little bit in 1929 about how Hoover uh, was a terrible president and he threw in uh, he threw in some money towards the Hoover Dam, which was not called that until he threw in the money, and people died in there, which was nice and fun. Hoover killed those people. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, oh, what was Hoover? He was a Democrat, Republican. <clears throat> they were sure. the opposite party. Whatever, whatever it was, they were the opposite party. If there's anything I remember, I remember old, old Cal, old uh, Calvin Coolidge. Yeah. He was doing pretty good up until the, the weird, you know, like immigration. Yeah, I was going to say the really weird, like anti-Japanese immigration laws he was passing. But other than that, he was doing he was doing pretty well. He was yeah, Republican from uh, Massachusetts and governor of Massachusetts. Born in oh wow, he didn't live very long. 1872, July 4th in Plymouth, and died in January 5th, 1933. I I definitely thought. Uh, how old is that? That's around like that's almost sixty years. Yeah, he he didn't really get to see the end of the Great Depression. I don't think. Man, that's sad. I wish Cal could have seen the end of that. Yeah, just seen just seen what Herbert Hoover did so poorly. So we go into nineteen thirty now with Herbert Hoover elected and going. Yeah. So basically, if the U.S. government Along with World War II, these two things helped pull everyone out of the Great Depression. But if the U.S. government, like FDR would eventually do, had started bringing in jobs for people to work, then we would have seen the Great Depression last at least a little bit less time. Um, If the government had been proactive with handing out jobs and getting people working and getting people fed and getting money. But Herbert Hoover was very laissez-faire. So the one thing about economics, I think it's like every 10 or 20 years, there is a recession of some sort. So, you know, the recession of 2008 with Obama, even though it's not entirely his fault, it kind of goes back to the previous presidency, then, you know, Obama gets elected and he gets all of... Anyways, so recessions happen a lot. The recession of 2008 was pretty bad, uh, but especially right now, we're seeing a recession because with COVID and the pandemic and shutting down the economy, you shut down the economy. 
you're gonna gonna have some trouble with that. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we're seeing a lot of issues with job loss and people trying to find jobs or people just trying to get money or all of it's really hard right now oh, because yeah. we we took our economy, shot it in the head, and said, "Oh, man, you were only 20 years old. I, you still had like 60 years to live." <laughs> so Herbert Hoover was looking at the Great Depression. I was about to say Great Recession. Great Depression. And was like, you know, in the past we've had recessions before. It's not going to be that bad. It's like, we'll just let this do what it needs to do. Yeah, and that's normally how it goes. With recessions before and after, most of the times, you know, you have a little bit of interference, but people can just... It's like, I, I can I can kind of, I can see why he thought that. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. a fairly reasonable thing to think, but... I think it's also the reason why the recession was starting to happen was because, like what we were talking about, like the last time was like the whole credit thing. Yes. And like, actually, I wanted to watch a bunch of 30s movies. I ended up watching one. It was another Fritz Lang movie called M. And it's like, it's about, it's a very dark movie, but it's one of, it's about like a, a child murderer. And it's about these In the 1930s? Yeah. Interesting. That's not but, the type of movie I would expect to see from the 1930s. But it's really interesting because, like, it's both the cops that are trying to catch him and then the criminals are like, it's like, well, we got to do something because the cops are raiding our our areas, like, nightly, and we are going to go under, and it's because of this some outsider who has nothing to do with us that's just causing all this trouble, so we're going to do something about it. <laughs> so they, the, uh, the criminals employ the help of beggars, and stuff like that and I remember there was one scene it's a German movie so it's like you gotta read a lot of subtitles but I remember there's like it's the scene where they're showing all the beggars like where they're hanging out at and there's like this sign and it says Mr. Credit is dead and buried the management and I was like <laughs> I was like oh yeah that was happening <laughs> I was like, yeah I mean it makes sense with the introduction of credit that eventually people would have to learn the hard way of how credit actually worked so I Great think, Depression, 1930s at the start. Uh, actually, not even at the start. Over the course of three years, 1930 to 1933, and that's when the Great Depression was officially over, uh, officially according to the government. Uh, I'm sure there were still quite a bit of people that were. Uh, yes. Is that, so is that around when the old FDR came in? Uh, Actually, I think... Let's, let's pull it up real quick. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the New Deal. That's right, the New Deal. So, Great Depression, we saw it happened around the world. Um, everyone's economy has collapsed. I mean, you said you were watching a German movie and they had credit in there. So, everyone's economy has collapsed because of World War I. Um, everyone coming home and saying, okay, we got money, we can live our lives now, we should do that because death is a reality that happens to people and using all that credit leading to the eventual cr uh, crash because everyone's like cool it's been 10 years give us back that money that you took from us 10 years ago and you're like ah i have five dollars in my wallet and that's it it's like <laughs> well we don't have money and then everyone's like okay we all gotta run to the banks now because we are running out of money here and then the banks are like well I got tough news for you guys. So are we. <laughs> we don't have money either. And then they're like, oh. I can't imagine that. Just like going to the bank, just like, I want to take out my money. And then the bank's like, we can't do that because your money's gone. 
In fact, all of our money is gone. Like, I can't imagine just, like, the feeling that someone would... Like, the feeling that would come of somebody saying that to you. It's like, this is an establishment that, like, you entrust your, you know, wealth to, your money to, and then all of a sudden, they're just like, yeah, we don't have that anymore. It's gone. <laughs> this is gone. It's so like, It's like in South Park, it's like, and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, excuse me, as of right now, I'm getting burpy. As of right now... 5.2% of Americans are unemployed. So the thing about economics, you never want that number to hit zero, but you also never want that number to go ridiculously high. Why would you not want it to hit zero? So that... Hold on. That was just something I learned from economics that stuck in my head, but now I can't remember... That's very weird. I never would have... I, w- I would have thought it would be good if unemployment was zero because that would mean everybody would be working. Oh, here we go. One of the first question or one of the first answers on Google. Naturally. So, people are employed for cyclical, structural, seasonal, frictional, and institutional reasons. If the unemployment rate becomes zero, all five would have to disappear. So the reasons that you are employed, those five reasons, would have to go away. Uh, cyclical unemployment happens because the economy goes through periodic cycles of booms and busts. So I believe it is pretty much technically impossible to have 0% unemployment because there's got to be one person somewhere in the entirety of the United States that is unemployed. Yeah, I mean... And then there's people that are unemployed because they just are not capable, like, physically speaking, like, they're just not able to work for extenuating circumstances. So, along with having zero unemployment, you want low unemployment. Like, I think it, I think it's between four and six percent is the sweet spot. But when you hit zero percent unemployment, you see an increase in inflation. Because everyone's getting a lot of money now, so everyone's throwing the money into the economy. Uh, But you also see reduced productivity and products going out because everyone's working so much that there's nobody out there buying. So everyone's getting a whole lot of money, and now since the wealth is going up, the government has to counter that wealth going up and starts making making their own money, which is what causes the inflation. And generally, one of the other things... Uh, that happened, at least in the past, once you saw a rise in workers and getting wages, I think this is 1890s and the Industrial Revolution stuff, once you start seeing people doing that, they're going to funnel more money back into the economy. But if these people are working a lot or working a little, then you're not going to see that money funneling back into the economy. Because if if everyone has a job, but you can only work two hours a week, then you have you know, assuming you're $10 an hour, you have 20 bucks for one whole week. And That's you got to know how to spend that 20 bucks. But vice versa, you know, Great Depression, if you have too many people unemployed, then you're not able to put enough money back into the economy. So people don't want to buy products and goods and services, which then causes those industries to fall apart. So if uh, if you have that large rate of people who are unemployed and 
like lawn, lawn care, which is a staple of American culture since the 1950s, actually 40s and 50s. And you hire someone to come and mow your lawn. Well, if you only have 20 bucks to live on for a week, I'm sure you could probably get away with not hiring someone to mow your lawn and instead feeding a child. Yeah. So that was part of the issue with unemployment. Uh, so what was the unemployment rate? During- I was about to ask you, if it is 5.3% now, what do you think it went up to? Oh. I will say it is below 50%. I would say between 30 and 40 Still a little bit high. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'd say like 25 then. Okay, a lot closer. It's 23% of Americans were unemployed. Wow, I would have thought it would have been a lot more than that. Well, kind of makes sense because there was like, there were industries that were like booming during the Great Depression, one of which was like entertainment because there were a lot of people going to the movies like way more now. Like I think... Uh, I don't really have, like, any numbers, but, like, there were people going to the movies literally all the time in the 30s, like, and there were a lot of great movies that came out in the 30s, because, like, people wanted to escape from the realities, like, our economy is in shambles, and everything is just really bad right now, so we're gonna go see these movies and escape from that, so you had, like, you know, there were film serials, like, Flash Gordon and stuff like that. Yeah, all the good stuff. And um, <laughs> stuff. they'd make it so you'd want to go back because, like, before they'd play the feature, mo- the feature film, they would play a uh, an ep- like a an installment of a serial. So, like, you'd want to go back and see what happens next in the story. So, like, there was, like I said, Flash Gordon, and like, I think there's one called like the Phantom Creeps and stuff like that. Maybe I want to say the Lone Ranger. That's not no, that can't be right. But uh. Yeah, there were a lot of great movies. You had all the great, like, universal, like, monster movies, like Frankenstein and Dracula and, like, The Invisible Man, which had, like, really revolutionary special effects and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> what else was there? Oh, geez. There was uh, controversial movies like the movie Freaks, which was a – I believe it was about, like, you know, like, circus, like, sideshow performers – and, like, it was really controversial. They're like, oh, man, we can't have this stuff happen. This is too weird. And I think it was the same person who directed Dracula. And after that, like, it, like, totally messed his career up. And it was like... Oh, wow, this got really good reviews. And uh, I'm trying to think of what other movies came out there. And I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But, like, oh, come on now. But yeah, you know... Well, we'd get to it a little bit later on our list, but 1939 saw the release of... Gone with the Wind and uh, yep. The Wizard of Oz. Yep. I forgot about those, yeah. Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz. Uh, 1930s, some of the names uh, that come to mind, well, come to mind, come to Google. Uh, King Kong. King which Kong. falls under one of the monster movies. How can movies. I forget King Kong? 1933, King Kong. Uh, Camille, 1936. Uh, Robin Hood, 1938. Dracula, Dra- 1931. Frankenstein. Snow White was 1937. Oh, yeah, I yeah. always forget Snow White is really that old. <laughs> yeah, me too, honestly. 
Wizard of Oz is 1939. Bride of Frankenstein is 1935. That one is a really good one, too. Bride of Frankenstein. The Most Dangerous Game was 1932. Wow, it was 1932. That's a pretty decent one, too. I haven't se- I've seen like parts of it. But. I read the short story, and then we watched the 1930 version, and I didn't realize that I was watching the 1930 version. I thought it was like 1960 or something. So. Oh, yeah, I remember reading The uh, the Most Dangerous Game. I don't know if we watched the movie, though, but I've, I do remember reading the story. I would like to see like a remake or something of it uh, instead of just the 1931. Really, it is a really interesting concept. It's it like is. hunting it's such an, a man. Exactly. I mean, I guess Predator. There's a Predator movie that's basically the humans are hunting the Predator. So, eh. oh, yeah. You've got the original A Star is Born, which they seem to make a new one every single decade. I know. Like, I didn't know there were so many of them. It's like, it's, it's like, come on, man. It's like, there, there's all sorts of other obscure movies you could remake that would, like, be deserving of it. Like, I want to see people remake, like, 50s B movies that are just, like, the really. The really terrible ones, <laughs> like the mole people or like wasp woman, and just remake them to be like really good. <laughs> so the thing from outer space and John Carpenter's the thing. Yeah, just something like the fifties one was so bad. Uh, yeah, was I think so like bad, and then John like, Carpenter came in and made a good movie, and everyone was like, "Oh, all right." Yeah, and like there, are, yeah, like especially like the Frankenstein movies and stuff like that. Like those movies are so good. Like I remember when I was very, I watched Frankenstein when I was really young. Like I was in elementary school and I watched it and I was like, "This movie is awesome." <laughs> it's like I don't know what it is. It's like Boris Karloff and it's like the makeup and stuff and just the feel of the movie and like everything about it, you know, and like the it's alive, it's alive and all that. It's like it's just so good. It so, is it is a great horror movie. A few more things on here that uh, is very relevant to American pop culture. Gone with the Wind, 1939. We already said that one. Scarface, 1932. Yeah, the original Scarface. That's right. Uh, you already talked a little about, about Freaks. Flash Gordon was 1936. Four hours and five minutes. I assume this is the collection of all the episodes, not just yeah. Flash Gordon. Um, and then... Uh, Karloff, The Mummy. That one is a good one, too. Tarzan, The Ape Man. I haven't seen that one. Yes. I've not seen that one, either. Invisible Man was 1933. And The the Hound of the Baskervilles, that would pretty much be... Is that the one with Peter Cushing? Uh, I do not know. Let me check that real quick for you. And then, of course, Shirley Temple stuff. Oh, yeah. I never really watched Shirley Temple, but I remember when I was little, I always saw, like, commercials for, like, it's like, you can have the whole collection of all the Shirley Temple shorts <laughs> and movies. And I'm like, well, I don't Ooh. It's like, okay. I mean, then you kind of find out later, it's like all those child actors were, like, horribly mistreated. And you're like, ah. It's like, well, they're still fun, but you can't help but think about that stuff. I think in the 30s, I might be wrong. Didn't the little, weren't like all the little rascals like cart shorts coming out too? Oh. They started out in the 20s, but like the ones that like everybody knows, I believe were in the 30s. Let me double check that. I think you're right. But I watched, 
I watched a few of the Little Rascals ones. I remember watching the movie from like the 90s when I was little. I loved that movie. I watched that movie. I still watch that movie. I love that, that movie. That movie yeah. is great. So our gang, also known as Little Rascals, um, is 1929 and comes out over the course of uh, various years. So it's got the books, which are the late 1920s. And then the original Our Gang is 1922, and it's a film series. Yeah, those were like, they had a different like cast of characters. Yes. Uh, Darla, Spanky, Alfalfa, all those people. Um, I was trying to look up a picture of what Shirley Temple looks like. I mean, I guess not now, because... Got like curly red hair and stuff like that. Oh, she died in 2014. Yeah, I, I just wanted to see if she actually looked like her child self. Uh, Did she? Yeah, I, I'd actually say she she still looks quite a bit like her child self. She's got the same cheeks, and her hair isn't, you know, curled the way it is when she was a kid. But how old was she? Uh, she died in 2014, and I think it said 80-something years old. Let me wow. double-check that real quick. She was... Ah. 85. There you go. That's pretty good. It's a nice, ripe old age. She was, uh, you know, the happy kid from Shirley Temple... And was also a U.S. diplomat. Really? Yes. <laughs> I had. <laughs> that's kind of that's cool fact. That is really cool. I'm huh. glad she, like, you know, I don't know if she did any more movies after the whole the stuff she did when she was younger, but I'm glad she went off and was like, yeah. I'm I lived her life and, like, yeah, I'm, got I'm into politics. Go, it's like, I'm going to go do something else. So I'm going to bring us back a little bit. Great Depression. Yay. Woo. Uh, there were 128, m sorry, 124.8 million Americans inside the United States or living in the United States at the time, uh, at the time of the 1932 census. So, excuse me. So if, what did I say, 23% of Americans are unemployed at that time, that would a that would make twenty eight million seven hundred four thousand Americans unemployed. So, I mean, twenty three percent. Putting it in terms of millions of people, twenty eight million people is is quite a bit. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So, uh, also notable during Great Depression, with FDR. He was elected 1933, and he was in office until 1945. Didn't he? Didn't he run for like a third term, and like he was like he died in the middle of it, or he was? I forget what it was. I don't know when they put in that law where you couldn't run was, for a third term. It was right after he died because they were like, "Oh man, it's like we're glad that FDR did it because he was pretty good," but. We should probably just make it a two-term oh. limit, just in what case. What if we had Herbert Hoover in there instead for four terms? Oh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> Maybe even five or something. Who knows? Oof, yeah, he died uh, the year that he was no longer in office. Or, other way around, he was no longer in office because he died. Uh, April 12th, 1945, 
FDR. Was he in the, was he was it during his third term? Uh cuz I know he did run for one. Let me double check that. So Roosevelt won a third term by defeating Republican nominee Wendell Wilkie in the 1940 United States presidential election. Uh, he remains the only president to serve for more than two terms. Man. So I believe he actually served maybe four terms. Was passed. The amendment was passed in 1947 saying that you couldn't serve more than two. It was ratified in 1953. That's the 22nd Amendment. It says a person can only be elected to the presidency two times for a total of eight years. Man, I'm, gl I'm glad they got rid of that when they did. I can't imagine someone like Richard Nixon <laughs> I was gonna going to say, Richard like Nixon for like, you know, 16 terms. Ronald Reagan throws himself in there. Obama's like, you know... I'm having a good time. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and put in for like sixty more terms. <laughs> Trump's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, if he did it for sixty terms, so will I. And nah, I can't imagine. I mean, people should. There's already enough problems with career politicians and senators and congressmen going. Yeah, like there's some for, positions of like government you can just keep going and exactly. going and going, and it's like, no, that's not good. And then you run into the issue of. If presidencies have term limits, why don't everyone else? Because they're the guys who have to vote on it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, just keep going and going and going and going. There's only thing I can think. I don't know why this has nothing to do with politics, but for like, I think it was in the 80s or 90s. But Bob Dylan went on this tour, and it was called the Never Ending Tour, and he just constantly touring and constantly. I'm just like, man, he's still going, but. I think he stopped because of COVID. So that I guess that oh. killed his never-ending tour. It's like, man, come on. Really had a good thing going. Bob Dylan, never-ending tour. Looks like it started in 1988. Yeah, it was in like the 80s. It, it was, was 3,066 shows oh, as man. of December 8th, 2019. Uh, I believe he will continue touring in 2021. He had to take oh, yeah. a year off. Well, everybody did. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why he did that. But who knows, you know. Wow. Interesting. That's something I didn't know, and that's that's pretty neat. I know. It's crazy. I can't believe he did it. And he was, like, he was already pretty old when he was doing that. But I think that was the reason why, because in – well, I don't want to get too into it. We got to talk about the 30s. That's Yeah, the 30s. That's 30, year, that's 30 years from now. <laughs> I'm getting too ahead of myself. So, uh, the GDP of the world, uh, actually, sorry, not the world, America. The GDP of America dropped by 1% in 2008's Great Recession. The GDP of the Great Depression dropped by 15%. Really? Yeah, so that's 14% more uh, in terms of money, a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> like, that's a lot, a lot. That's a lot, a lot. I think there was, I might be wrong, because I heard this somewhere, and I don't know how true this is, but I think it got, like, so bad, like, with people just, like, not having, like, any money. They started to make, like, uh, coins and stuff, and, like, 
currency that were like fractions of a penny. And I think they called them hay pennies, but I might be wrong about that. That might be just something I'm totally making up. But I think it was just for like the fact that so many people were just like, we barely have pennies. So they were just like, all right, we'll make stuff for <laughs> less than a penny and you can use that. Oh, well, just like now. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so also what's happening during 1930 to 1933, uh, scotch tape is invented. Scotch tape? Scotch tape, yeah. That's good. You know, we can't, not a whole lot we can do now. I can't imagine a world without scotch tape. <laughs> uh, Mickey Mouse comic strip debuted in January 13th, 1930, in an edition of New York Mirror. Huh. On 19... Er, sorry, 1917. Ugh, we're going back. On October 17th, 1931, Chicago gangster Al Capone was convicted of income tax evasion and later sentenced to 11 years in a federal prison. That is... This is no time at all for him. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Scarface. What a, What was a? Oh wait, I got another thing that came out in the thirties. Superman. Oh, I was gonna get to that one. Yes, Superman debuts in Action Comics, nineteen thirty-eight. Gotta love old Superman. Good old Superman. Yeah. I think he started. I think he started in like a newspaper, like strips and then they made it into like you know action comics yeah, action comics action comics number one yep i mean that's you know i think that one got beat out for like the most expensive comic book ever sold now it's like the the first spider-man comic it beat it out and i was like man it's like that one had a really good run action comics number one is worth 3.25 million dollars I don't know how much the Amazing Fantasy one went for, like the Spider-Man one, but it re- recently one sold for like, I think it was five million. I was like, man, it's like it's kind of weird to think about because like, it's like that's like one of the first, like real, honest to goodness like superheroes comics, and it's like got beat out by one that came out like almost thirty years after it. <laughs> so. Most expensive Spider-Man comic book. We'll put that in. So the Superman one only has a hundred copies. I can't imagine. And then Amazing Fantasy number fifteen is the Spider-Man one. Uh, came out in nineteen sixty-two, and you're right. It did beat it by point three million. It's uh, th- it's worth three point six million. Man, that's that's that is really strange to think about. I'm sure it's probably probably got like you know if action comics number one had 100 issues i feel like spider-man might have had like 20 yeah who knows or maybe it's just the fact that it's just like spider-man's really like popular right now so they're just like oh yeah we gotta get this stuff it's like it's like i mean superman in terms of movies he's he hasn't been he hasn't been doing too good for a while poor superman so uh, here's why. <laughs> Amazing Fantasy number 15, Spider-Man's Amazing Fantasy number 15, there are four copies. Four? Four. <laughs> There's a hundred Supermans? There's a hundred Supermans. There are four 
Amazing Fantasy number 15. I guess all those angry parents are like, throw this junk away, these these comic books. They're not real books. Get them out of here. Wow. That's impressive. That, that is really crazy to think about. The uh, Action Comics number one is still, whenever I search up for the uh, most valuable comic book, is still Action Comics number one, despite the Spider-Man being worth more. I would assume... Actually, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to assume there. That's just surprising to me. I find it fascinating that we attach such great value to little pieces of paper with stuff printed on them. I mean... And it's like, and it's also the fact that it's like, yeah, I got the first Superman comic. I'm not going to read it, though. I can't take it out of the packaging. <laughs> I, <was gonna> say, <laughs> I sold it. Uh, I bought it for $3.25 million, and now I'm just like... Well, guess I'll sell it for $3.26 million. It's like, I think I'm going to hang it on my wall. And I'm not going to do anything with it. It's like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Life is meant to be lived. I guess. It's kind of like, I'm also getting too ahead of myself, but it kind of reminds me, like, after um, after Jerry Garcia died of the Grateful Dead, he had all these crazy guitars, like, custom. Some of them were, like, custom built. Some of them were, like, heavily, like, modified. Like, really... You know, really, some of them are pretty iconic, but the thing is, like, he didn't really have, like, a will or anything, like, to do with them, so they ended up getting, like, auctioned off to different people, and it's, like, really, and, like, and they oh. just kind of hang them up and, like, put them away, like, private collectors and stuff, like, not even, like, museums and stuff, and it's just, like, man, it's, like, you could put those somewhere where, like, you know, people who really... Like the music would actually enjoy Yeah, it. it's, That's... like... And some of them are pretty, yeah. like, really cool. And it's like, man, it's like, I like to see those in person, but too bad they're in some rich person's house and he just sits there on his couch. It's like, yeah, I got that one. Well, that's how in the past decade we got a whole bunch of film rights to old movies that were awful. Was It was sitting in a private collector's vault, and then they're like, why do I even have these? And got rid of them, and they went into the public domain, and everyone freaked out for, like, a year. What movies were they? Good question. I'm not the type of guy who can remember movie or actor names very well, so I uh, won't be able to answer that question very that well. That is how a lot of like lost film, like lost films from like the early 20th century, are found through like private collections. It's like you know, because like there there was a lot that were uh, that were like lost. Like I think like Nosferatu was lost. I think, you know, like the 1910 Frankenstein, that was lost, too, for a long time. And it's just, like, and they're really famous, like, influential movies. And it's just kind of weird to think about. It's like, yes, yeah. for, there was a time where these movies were considered, like, gone to the wind. Gone with the wind. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, gone with the wind. <laughs> gone with the wind. And then eventually, like, some guy's just like, oh, wait, uh, I have it. Do you guys want it? It's like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> these are important give us to them now and there's probably more lost films and private collections that people that we probably don't even know about because they just don't they want them all to themselves it's kind of like the guy that bought that like it's like the wu-tang clan album that they it was like <laughs> they made one copy of it and they auctioned it off and some guy bought it and he was like it's like well it's like i got this but I'm not going to show it to anybody. <laughs> yeah, because then you just take away its worth. 
like it's I guess he wasn't allowed to like sell it, but he was allowed to like show it for free. But I think he ended up getting like arrested for tax evasion. So now it's in the hands of police, <laughs> like the federal government. Oh no. <laughs> so uh hopping back on, we're in nineteen thirty two now. In nineteen thirty two, FDR wins his election over Herbert Hoover. Good old Franklin Delano Roosevelt. That's right. Good old Frankie. I can't believe he always would hide like he went through such great lengths to hide the fact that he had polio. Yeah. It's like it's like it's kind of it's admirable, but it's also like it's kinda of sad that like people like would have thought it's like ah oh, our president's weak he can't walk too well so he was just like all right i'm just gonna make people think i can stand and walk around and stuff so i'm gonna have secret underground trains and hotels and stuff and just <laughs> like all this stuff it's like man like wear a blanket it's like that's kind of cool <laughs> i mean he really went out of his way he really like just like such just great lengths and it's just it's kind of sad it's like he sh- like You'd think he wouldn't have to do something like that because he's the president of the United States and people wouldn't care. But I don't know. Maybe people wouldn't. We'd never really know. I think I think they'd care a lot more in the 30s. Actually, yeah, probably in the 30s. I think 30s. they probably would. I think they but might have every- seen FDR as weaker than Herbert Hoover, who he ran against in 33. So, like, eh. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. But I feel like just, like, Everyone was just kind of sick of Hoover, anyways. I mean, I mean, th- I think a lot of people had polio anyway. Like it was a big problem. You know, I think it would just would have been it's like, oh, you know, he's got polio too. We do. It's like, <laughs> like everybody I know has polio too. You know, what's the difference? I don't know. Maybe they would have probably figured because the '30s are just, you know, people weren't accepting of stuff like that back then, especially in in positions of people who are supposed to be like big strong leaders leading millions of people and whatnot so getting back into it we uh oh where was i just at i've got a few tabs open inventions include penicillin scotch tape chocolate chips cheeseburgers baby food frozen foods nylon stockings and ballpoint pens all of these are awesome Especially nylon stockings. So, uh, notable wars. The Columbia-Peru War, which was September 1st, 1932, to May 24th, 1933, which was fought between the Republic of Colombia and the Republic of Peru. Uh, I was about to say, I'm like, the rest of these aren't interesting. There are three more interesting ones. The second Italo-Ethiopian War, which was 1935 to 1937, which saw Italy growing a little bit. Um, And then the Sino-Japanese War, which was fought between the Republic of China and the Empire of Japan. It is the largest Asian war of the 20th century and made up for more than 50% of the casualties in the Pacific theater of World War II. How much? It made up for more than 50% of the casualties wow. in the Pacific theater. So, like... That is that is insane. Yikes. And then, you know, World War II. The uh, 
the uh, Sino-Japanese War was 1937 to 1945. So the Japanese were fighting on two fronts. They were trying to take over China because, you know, Russia and China and all them. And then uh, they were trying to continue island hopping, and America was really mad at them. So I wonder whatever happened to his, uh, to Calvin Coolidge's immigration ban at the Japanese in the 20s, if that stayed for 20 years, or... I mean, I don't know. There was the whole, like, Japanese internment thing during the Second yeah. World War. It's <laughs> like, even that's kind of weird to think about, because we don't really talk about that a lot in, like, school and American history. I mean, like, yeah, we talk about it, but not as much as, like, say, like, the Holocaust, or something like that. We so. really do gloss over a lot of, I guess, world history from, especially the Asian theater, uh, because you see, or hemisphere, uh, you see so much of what we learn about in Europe. And the first time I ever learned about India or China or Japan or any of those things were in college, which I think is just really weird because, you know, China's the oldest civilization in the world and and exactly and it's got so much history to it but you know we don't care about it despite them having influences in the world such as gunpowder so internal conflicts while the chinese are fighting the japanese from 1937 to 1945 the chinese are also in the middle of a civil war i would imagine that the japanese were probably backing uh the communist party of china so you have the ruling, I would say, dynasty. I'm not, I've never actually heard of this. Give me a second here. I get the, the Chinese same. Nationalist Party, and then the Communist Party of China was rebelling. So my wild guess would be, don't quote me on this yet, but uh, I'm pretty sure the Japanese were backing the communists to help them overtake it, and also to keep Russia at bay because Russia you know, could easily walk down into Japan and be like, hey, you're mine now. There's one thing I can glean from all this. It's that in the 1930s, China really had its hands full. <laughs> <laughs> they, yes, for about 10 or 15 years, China was just, ah. <laughs> just like they have to deal with, you know, people rebelling against, like fighting at their own people. And then you have Japan coming in saying, like, I'm going to get you, China, even though I'm a tiny island and you're a giant, huge country. I mean, now's the time to do it if they're in the middle of civil war. That's actually, this brings up this. I guess uh, you are right. In 1937, when the Japanese attacked China, uh, the Chinese decided to basically put the civil war on hold to fight the Japanese. (laughs) And then they're like, well, we still don't like you. And everyone else was like, well, we still don't like you either. And then they started clashing and fighting while the Japanese were invading. So, like, all right, guys, hold on. Civil War, time out. All right, guys, <laughs> time out. We, gotta, we got Japan over here trying to, you know, they're trying to put on big boy pants, trying to come after us. We got to <laughs> do something about this. Uh, another internal conflict was the Spanish Civil War, which is often not talked about a lot because Spain, during this time period, everyone's like, Europe, it's fighting each other. Oh, and there's Spain over there. So uh, Spain, 1936 to 1939, uh, Germany and Italy had backed the anti-communist 
I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, uh, Francisco, and I like his other names. Um, Francisco is one of the names. And the Soviet Union uh, backed the Republicans. So the war ended in 1939 with uh, Francisco, the nationalist, winning. Hmm. That's why the Italians and the Germans had said, hey, we, we helped you win your civil war. You should come help us fight in World War II. And then the Spanish were like, uh, we can't actually do that because we killed all of our people and used all of our resources in the Civil War. But uh, good luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so ma uh, major political changes. This is going to be the most important thing uh, because when we get into the next decade, I mean, th this is what it has influenced the 1940s and I guess the rest of the world after um, the National Socialist Party of Germany. Um, you see Adolf Hitler is elected to chancellor in 1933. And pretty much 1934, uh, Paul von Hindenburg, maker, maker of the Hindenburg, uh, dies. And he's the president of Germany. So then Hitler's cabinet passes a law proclaiming the presidency vacant and transferring the role and powers to the head of the state, which is Hitler. Oh, um, no. And was now hereafter known as Führer und Reichskanzler. I don't know how to say that last part. I, I understand my German, but oof. So he became equivalent of leader and chancellor in English. It's pretty much just like, I'm Hitler. I run Germany now. Yeah, pretty much. It was like, it, it was like the equivalent of if FDR just died, and the Democrats were like, "Oh, FDR's dead. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna skip, you know, going to vice president or anything like that. We like Obama. I don't know. A name came to mind. We like Obama better. We're gonna throw him in the presidency." Since FDR is dead and Se he's got Secretary a vice president, of State, uh, yeah, get get in there, buddy. Get yeah, off exactly. The, get off the like... bench. You're getting in the game now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and then the Weimar well, Republic effectively gives way to Nazi Germany. Um, basically, they become a part of Germany. So Germany begins its expansion, but not militarily yet. Um, pretty much from there. The beginning of concentration camps starts happening in Germany. Uh, first groups of people you see are Jews and other minorities. Um, they put them in the, uh, I think first it was the ghettos. Yep. And then they were like, okay, now we're going to take you to these camps. So what's really interesting is that the first concentration camps were set up as... Uh, basically just labor areas for him to keep his political opponents and other minorities um i remember they had like propaganda films i remember like yeah like learning about them in um in like eighth grade or something like that because we we talked about it it was like a whole thing where we were talking about the holocaust and stuff and i remember seeing like they were showing concentration camps like oh yes look at these nice lovely places they're so nice and yes like, you want to go there yep and they like they made them look like they looked so like much. they looked like summer camps and 
it's like you'd think that they'd almost put into their oh yes they're to die for it's like <laughs> like you know it's like Ugh, they're just humor they're just so deeply kind of disturbing when you realize like especially when you see first like what they really were and then you see what they tried to make them after you find out like what they really were it's like as far as the rest of the world knew they were just kind of nice places where like you know it's just like oh yeah you know you just work a little and then you just have leisurely fun but like really they they were just terrible horrible places where a lot of crimes against humanity occurred and stuff like that and it's like they really tried to sell it on people it's something that it absolutely was not in any way shape or form when and that's just like like, yeah, man. well, they tried to get people to voluntarily go was the it whole point kinda, of that. It is. It, it kind of, yeah. And it kind of makes your stomach turn because you're just like, man, it's like, like, like these were bad people, but like they were human beings like you or me. And you know, it's like, and they were doing this stuff to other human beings. Yeah. And it's like, and, it's like, yeah, we try to like vilify like the Nazis and stuff. Like they are terrible people. And they're awful. And they were also kind of idiots too. No, they were <laughs> idiots because they didn't think that winter would happen in russia and that's why they well, lost <laughs> stares at napoleon who we <laughs> talked about in the first episode that made the same mistake so yeah it, it's it's kind of weird with them because with all that that's happening hitler still doesn't really have that much power he has some power at this point i mean he's stepped up as leader and chancellor and he's beginning expansion uh, through non-military means, diplomacies, and basically, you know, probably a lot of espionage in there. But he's not stepped up and said, all right, we are racist, we hate everyone now. It's more of a, I it's don't like, like these people, so why don't you start coming over here? It was like, we don't like these people. These people are the reason why Germany was such economic depression after <laughs> World War One. It was these people when really it was just... It was probably the fact that Germany was like, yeah, you know the world? Uh, I'm going to fight them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Germany like, really did side with all the old empires, and then the old empires collapsed, and then Germany said, ah, we're the only ones still alive. Yeah. World War I. So. And, like every, and like all the other government, <laughs> like all the other countries were just looking at Germany. They're just like, I can imagine just sitting around the chair with like swivel chairs, and like all the people just turn to Germany like slowly, and they just look at him, just like. Right, Germany. So, so uh, this is all your fault, and you're <laughs> gonna pay for all of this. <laughs> I, I think it's very interesting because I don't think people in their this is more of a philosophical or uh, philosophical question, but I don't think people when they're in their right minds are racist and hateful. I think it's something that's taught on to people instead of something you're it's born with. It's an environmental with. thing. Every yeah. every person is a product of their own environment. And the reason Germany couldn't get away with doing concentration camps like right when Hitler came into power was because the Germans kind of realized, wait a minute, you know, this is it wouldn't be okay to just send people to their deaths in all these camps and start hating them for no reason. But with the slow propaganda of what was happening over the course of that decade, I feel like that really helped start to sway and everyone needs somebody to blame for something. So it happened to be, in this case, the Germans were able to blame Jews and minorities for their loss instead of realizing the historical context and what actually happened. It's like, it was their own fault. 
It's like it was yeah. It was. It was. Didn't have it. The Jew, the Jewish people didn't have anything to do with it. Nobody had anything. To well, do and with I think like, that's like the best part too. Was they really didn't have anything to do with it? It's like, like war is, war is everybody's fault. Yeah, like, I mean, there's I no guarantee one there were Jews who were fighting for uh, Germany in the First World War, yeah. and then you turn around and backstab them and say, "No, it's your fault." And you're like, "Well, no." <laughs> and it's like, it's not how that works. And also, they were really hypocritical about the whole thing because, like, Fritz Lang, who made, like, M and, uh, and Metropolis, like, really famous director, he makes this movie called, oh, I can't remember, but, like, it was something, something Dr. Mabuza or something like that. I don't know what it was. But the bad guy, Dr. Mabuza, the villain, Dr. Mabuza, is, like, saying, like, he's he's the villain, and he's talking, he and he starts there's a scene where he's basically saying like Nazi rhetoric, like saying like an, an eternal empire of crime and blah, 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 that will last forever. And like, <laughs> basically it was his way, like Fritz Lang's way of saying like the Nazis are bad. <laughs> yeah. This is not good for Germany. Yeah. And then like, I think you, I think Goebbels was like, Oh, I want to talk to you, Fritz Lang. You're cause I guess the Nazi part, they really liked Metropolis. They, they thought it was great because they had some weird interpretation of it that wasn't true. <laughs> that was not what the interpretation because the, was. The whole thing about Metropolis is like there's a there's a phrase that um, goes throughout the movie. There's like a theme of the mediator between the head and the heart is the hands. No, wait. The mediator between the head and the hands is the heart. That's what it was. And it was basically like a way of bridging the working class and the rich people together. It's like finding a mediator and stuff like that. And it's basically just like, we got to get along here because we're all living in this big super city, like big metropolis, and we all got to work together. But I don't I don't know if the Nazi, I think, I don't know. They, I don't think they understood that they, very well. They, <laughs> they, they tend to take something and then just completely yeah. construe it and, uh, and they wanted, ruin things. And they wanted Fritz Lang to like be the head of like making movies for basically they're like we can make you the king of the german cinema you know whatever <laughs> but you have to make do this for us and make these movies and fritz and is like why would i do he's that? like and then he <laughs> says well i'm like half jewish like i have like and then goebbels i, I kid you not he says it's like we decide who is jewish <laughs> it's like oh my gosh it's like you <laughs> what that is the like most Nazi response of all time. Yeah, is, <laughs> we decide. Yeah, it's not like like he didn't he didn't bat an eye. It's like, well, you must if you must know, I am part Jewish, so I don't know if you want me in your little club. I guess it's <laughs> yeah, like your, your little hate filled empire. Over yeah, there. just the fact that he just said like we decide who is Jewish, and it's like you guys are such jerks. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like you guys are. What is wrong with you, Pete? Like, oh, and it's just the whole, it's just so hypocritical. It's like, but then he ended up like escaping Germany and stuff like that. So he was all right in the end. Yeah, know. well, Fritz Lang made it out all right, and he proceeded to make more movies and whatnot. So he, yeah, he it lived a life for him. He didn't die for Goebbels and Hitler and all those other guys. They they didn't quite make it out so good. <laughs> you know, no, nah, they didn't make it to Argentina like everyone else. So, well, uh, if you believe uh, <laughs> the show Hunting Hitler, he apparently lived a whole life. 
<laughs> the thing is, with Americans surrounding, I guess this is more of a 1940s talk, but like with the Americans surrounding the bunker, it's uh, America had also propagandized so much to the point where, I mean, I feel like if he were to try and walk out of that bunker, none of those Americans would have said, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to help you live a life as long as you promise not to do. No. They would have shot him immediately. Like he was bad guy. I think he killed himself because <laughs> he of, did. He's yeah. he because uh, he saw what happened to Mussolini and how they everyone yes and like they basically beat him and shot him and hung him upside down and, from a gas station. Yeah, yeah. And I think he found out about it and he was like, it's like, you know, I mean, no when, if you're another dictator and you see another dictator get killed in such a grisly way. You're gonna be, you're gonna panic, and yeah. you're gonna be like, "Oh no! Like this is gonna happen to me, and I gotta get out of here." So you end up. I mean, I think it's a cowardly way to go. I think it would have been cooler if you got. Yeah, I like. And all I personally that. like the ending of uh, Inglorious Inglorious Bastards. You know. But yeah, the movie. Yeah. I think that is uh, what <laughs> should have happened. That, that movie, everything about it is just so over the top. I love it. <laughs> it's such a good movie of just, it's good. It um, is a fantastic film. So the reason, or one of the main reasons that Hitler was starting to spread um, and you know make Germany bigger, besides the many reasons I've already listed. He was very it was, persuasive with his words. He was. Uh, very, he was a very good speech giver. And I do remember, I think this is because in the 30s, I'm, I, I don't know if I talked about this, but it was an interview with Orson Welles, and he was talking about how he, in his lifetime, he crossed paths with both Churchill and Hitler. And uh, I guess he had a friend that was like, as he said, as Orson Welles said, he was a budding Nazi. <laughs> so he's like at some a dinner or something but he's basically sitting around a table and he's sitting like almost right next to Hitler and uh, and apparently from what he said he was just like which I thought was very interesting he said it's like he just didn't have an effect on me like he was just kind of like he just made no effect he didn't really have a presence in the room he was just kind of there and I didn't even realize it and just like I <laughs> well, think yeah he, that guy you know it's like that was Hitler and it was like I mean that is kind of a thing I guess that is pretty accurate because we don't know what he was really like other than just like videos and footage of him, you know, at a on a pulpit going yelling and stuff like that, like play acting pretty much. But I feel like as a regular normal person, it's like we don't know anything about him because I don't I mean, who knows? He probably wasn't a very charismatic person anyway. Yeah, I I feel like he probably wasn't. He was just a neckbeard. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> just an angry, just like, just a bitter person who was just like, I hate these people and I hate everybody and I'm going to like <laughs> run this country and into the ground. Well, and that's the thing was he brought the country back up and then he ran it into the ground. So like he did save Germany in the sense of he brought uh money back into germany and the economy was back to booming the issue is the amount of bad things that he did just completely nullifies the good stuff he did for you know the top three percent of people yeah and like and it's weird when people try to like i guess defend him 
because people talk about it's like, oh yes, when Hitler was in power, like we had the Volkswagen and <laughs> we had the Autobahn and this and that, and he did all this cool infrastructure stuff. It's like, well, that probably wasn't really him that did that. That was yeah. just things that happened to happen while he was there. I'm but sure he I don't gave think a few of the okays. Like Volkswagen was designed for Nazi Germany because Hitler saw the Ford and was very interested and said, wow, automobiles are cool. He's like, I like I, the Ford design. Let's I make want, a German company. Let's make our own Ford. Because <laughs> I think Volkswagen means like basically, now I might be wrong, but I think it translates to pretty much like the, the, the people's car. Like it's pretty much supposed to mean just like this is a car for the average person. Because I think Volks means like folk and like wagon, you know. I don't know. I might be wrong, but I think yeah, that's what you're it's, right. It's the people's car. The people's car. That's what it means. Yep. Yeah. So it's like, I'm glad I knew that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that German well, you taught DNA. me something there. But it's like, I think that was what it was about. And it's like, that's kind of cool and all, but I don't think Hitler really had anything to do with that. He probably was like, oh yes, this is, he probably found out about it because you know, if you're the Fuhrer of, if you're a dictator, you're probably going to know about a lot of stuff that's going on in your country. So I think he probably just knew about it, and he was like, it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> it's yes. Like, I will take all the credit for this. And, you know, and like the whole Autobahn thing. But the Autobahn's kind of cool because there's no speed limit on that. There's a minimum speed limit of about 100 miles per hour. <laughs> but you can go as fast as you want on the Autobahn. So I'm going to keep moving forward a little bit here because we're going to run out of time in 40 minutes, which uh, sounds like a long time, but we go fast. Oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, a lot of at this time, there was a lot of communist revolutions. I mean, we're looking at China, we're looking at Russia, and communism the is something. The Red Scare, if you will. <laughs> the, the first Red Scare, sure. The, uh, Isn't that when it happened? The first the Red, Red scare? scare? Yeah, the first one. Because there was one in, like, the 50s, but there was one before it. Yeah, technically, yes. Because what happened here was everyone was basically... Everyone basically became slaves to corporations because of the Industrial Revolution. And then they came back, and we had World War I, and you had credit and all that great stuff. And then they went back to being slaves for corporations or having no money at all. So... Communism sounded pretty good to a lot of people because if you just share the wealth, you don't have to worry about being poor. Well, then you run into the issue of people like Hitler and probably uh, FDR and uh, the Japanese who didn't like communism and decided to fight against it. And in this sense, Hitler was literally fighting against it and uh, starting a war with Russia and destroying as many communist states and communists within the country as possible. So, he... uh, we led into the League of Nations, which was basically everyone saying, okay, we're going to do Olympics together. Hitler goes, no, I leave the League of Nations, but <laughs> I still want to hold the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. <laughs> and uh, he did. At this time in Britainland, uh, Never Ch Neville Chamberlain, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, uh, is attempting, along with pretty much the rest of NATO, uh, attempting to appease Hitler uh, by saying, oh, you know, Hitler, you may have annexed uh, 
Poland and or sorry, not Poland. He attacked Poland. Um, he invaded Poland. Poland. I now I can't remember where he annexed. Where did he annex? I think he annexed, but either way, Poland got invaded. Yeah, so I know Poland was invaded. I, he, I couldn't remember what countries he annexed, but he did that, and Neville and pretty much everyone else was like, hey, they were... So the reason they do this did this was because they were so afraid of starting another world war because so a lot of them had lived through the first like, one. People talk about Neville Chamberlain that he just pretty much kind of like... Totally, sat back and didn't do anything like yeah. totally dropped the ball and was just yep. like yeah you can do that and then everyone was like neville chamberlain you're dumb well <laughs> it was more of a yeah you can do that as long as so like okay you can invade poland but 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 just promise not to go to war with the rest of us because you know great depression and all that happened and then and i can imagine hitler just shaking hands with him and he's got his fingers crossed behind well, his back like oh yes uh, i won't do it so there's one thing neville chamberlain went to germany to meet with hitler and basically tell him hey you can do this but don't start world war ii and he's walking out of the reich and he is holding his own umbrella and it became national news because he held his own umbrella walked in, got in his car, and left. And the Germans saw that. And apparently, at the time, it was very, very much so a sign of weakness that holding your own umbrella uh, would display. So Why? So, uh, maybe, I guess, a sign of wealth. If you're supposed to be a leader of a nation, why would you hold your own umbrella? Why wouldn't you just have a lackey holding your umbrella for you? Like, you see it in the U.S. presidency. It's that way in America. I think if I was the president, I'd be like, screw you guys, I'm going to hold my own <laughs> I'm umbrella. I'm my own umbrella. It's like, well, I know how to block the rain from my own body. I don't need you to do it. I know better than myself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree, but the Germans saw it as a sign of weakness, which also led to, oh, this guy has no backbone, so we can just step on him anyways, and that's what they kept doing. So Neville Chamberlain was in office from 1937 to 1940, um, he really does get a bad rep, and to be fair, he did make a lot of really, really bad policies, but I at least understand where he was coming from, because he and his uh, people inside um, Parliament were very, very worried about a world war happening. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, like, the whole, I mean, I can't imagine just, like, seeing the Great War Happen. I mean, they called it the war to end and all the wars. wars. Yeah, and then there was another one, and I don't even—I don't even think they even called World War Two that. If only World War One ended all wars. That's what I'm thinking. That's a—that's uh, yeah. not happened. Yeah, <laughs> but also know, it's we, really easy now that I think about it to look back on Never Neville Chamberlain and the rest of Parliament and point fingers and say, "Well, you guys did this poorly." They didn't know World War II was starting. They were Nobody really trying. They thought it was the best way to protect their people. I mean, it's like Herbert Hoover. He sucked, but he thought the best way to protect his people was to let them fix themselves and I be laissez-faire. There's no way we could have known what was going on in yeah. like Germany. Well, and that's the thing, too, is in 1936 in Berlin, nobody knew that. Like, all of the Jews that were being carted away all of the discrimination and murders and all of that that was happening within Berlin, when the rest of the world arrived, they didn't see it. It, it looked like, you know, 
basically the reason that Germany yeah, they, wanted to host it in Berlin was to prove that, you know, they were Aryan and better than everyone else. And that's where, you know, proving that you're better than everyone else, you want to show that you live in a utopia of some sort. Yeah, and they have, like, all these big banners and stuff exactly. like that. And they make the... What do they call it? The Olympic Village, like, look really nice and stuff like that. And Yeah, everything looked perfect and, like, there was nothing wrong like, from the people who arrived. You know, I mean, the Nazis are terrible people, but they do they do keep up appearances. You uh, know, they, like, <laughs> they certainly kept up appearances. I mean, the world just did not know. And then when Hitler started to show some of these signs, the world was still kind of like, well, that's a little bit weird, but it makes sense because... You know, in the Prussian Empire, which is what Germany used to be, if you go back to our first episode, um, the Prussian Empire had some of the surrounding lands, and the people in the surrounding lands considered themselves to be German. So it's not crazy for them to say, okay, we're going to annex this place so that way they're really Germans. Boy, were they wrong. <laughs> and then my favorite thing about the 19... 19- 36 Olympics is that like Hitler was like oh yes we are Germany and we're gonna like win and it's gonna be awesome and then Jesse Owens comes in and you know wins the uh what was he he was it was uh it was track wasn't it it's track and field yeah and then like he comes in and like wins the gold and like Hitler's just like <laughs> Grr. Just like Grr. I am supposed to be superior race, but I am not. What? It's like this person <laughs> who is who I think is not a superior race because I'm just because I say so. They won, and now I'm mad. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that's just. What are you gonna do? So after the whole Neville Chamberlain thing, actually, sorry, during this time, uh, he goes into the Munich Agreement, which means basically. Peace for our time is what they were trying to get at. Uh, that was the one where he came out holding his own umbrella. And it was basically Hitler with his fingers crossed saying, I won't invade anyone. Don't worry. They're Germans anyway, so it's okay that I Poland annex them. and France and all these countries. Next, um, Neville Chamberlain is replaced by Winston Churchill in 1940. And uh, the Germans invade Poland and Norway and <laughs> all these other places and... The they invaded are France, like, too, didn't they? Yeah, rest in peace, France. The uh, the mistake that the French made where they all went along the border and prepared yeah. and made castles and tunnel systems. And the Germans in World around. War One and World War Two just went up and around there and crushed them in between. They did that twice? They did it twice. That's why France is the laughing stock of the world because they had – they had a pretty decent army too for both wars and they were they would have at least been able to hold off the germans long enough for allied support and then they just didn't because uh, they they weren't expecting the same like thing a, to happen twice i could understand the first time but they did it twice yeah it's embarrassing <laughs> it's like that's basically you know like fool me once shame on you fool me twice like, Shame shit. on me. <laughs> I mean, if well, we see World War Three break out. If you're George out, W. Bush, it's, you know, fool me twice. You can't fool me again. <laughs> <laughs> if we see World War Three break out and it's Germany and China or, like, Germany and Russia or something, I guarantee France is going to do the same thing, except this time with, like, airplanes and nukes and stuff we right all on need, the border, and they'll just get circled. <laughs> I think we should just start a campaign where we all send letters to France just say, hey, 
There's another world war that breaks out. <laughs> Put some people up north too. <laughs> Don't forget, please. Your country is in the middle of Europe, and it has borders on every side of it. So, uh, next we go into something that gets very scary. Um, I don't know if you got to talk or learn about this in school. Um, but in 1938, there is a German diplomat named Ernst von Rath, who is a German-born Polish Jew. He is assassinated by the Nazis. And that triggers something called Kristallnacht. Have you oh, ever heard of that? Yes. It's called Night of Broken Glass. And it occurred between the 9th and the 10th in 1938, carried out by Hitler Youth, Gestapo, and the SS. And they went in and took 20, between 25 and 30,000 Jewish people, killing 91, um, and sent them off to concentration camps. That's 1938, and that's when the rest of the world goes, hey, we heard about this. Are you doing something behind our back? Um... 267 synagogues were destroyed. And they were like, weren't they like smashing up like oh, yeah. Jewish owned businesses and they're like businesses, burning books. houses, books. Yeah. I mean, anything that could have even been touched by someone of Jewish, Jewish descent was destroyed and burned and smashed just in one night of just complete hatred. That's terrible. Um, It's just, yeah, just, it's really disheartening to just think about. It's like, man, it's like that's something that people did. Yeah, like that's twenty-five between twenty-five thousand and thirty thousand people is just and the, shocking. In one night, that many people are thrown on cattle cars and sent away. And then people were like, you know, then they had kids do it too, joining in on it. Exactly. It's I like, mean, it's terrible. That's awful. Because like kids are just, they're so impressionable they're so impressionable and, and with propaganda everywhere kids aren't going to be able to discern between right and wrong yeah they're it's just like, going to follow what feels good it's like when we were watching jojo rabbits like you know oh. the kids just like oh yes i love hitler more than anybody else and it's just like oh man but it's do like, you know that what? was really a thing <laughs> it's like that yeah was, it's like i forgot you were there for that jojo rabbit is one of those it got a lot of backlash when it came out uh, but taika wakiti is the director and he's jewish and it's made and he plays hitler and he plays hitler um and i really like the film simply because it shows humanity in people because it starts off with this kid who is a stereotypical hitler youth but he's just kind of weaker than everyone else um and he gets bullied for it and from there he ends up discovering that there is a jewish girl living in his attic that his mother, who is apparently uh, anti-Nazi, is protecting. It takes place like toward the end of the war, right? Uh, it takes place. I'd say probably like nineteen forty, because like they're talking about it's how it's in the forties. It's like it's like nineteen forty-four or forty-five or something. Because I remember there's like there's like the uh, the one guy. I think he was like a I don't know. He was some german you know ss commander and he's like well now you know i was doing this but then i got my eye blown out so i have to look over you kids and you know germany's really struggling right oh, now. oh yeah uh he's my he's my favorite character in there because he it shows his humanity of going from like this 
Nazi officer to like, this yes, disgraced officer to a human who and eventually just sees like, people. It's like I'm gonna help you, you know. Exactly. We're and gonna. He pro- shows it multiple times. Where I think he realized where he was just like because even when you first see him, he's talking about how like Germany is pretty much losing the war, and he's just like, yeah, we're like really in some hot water right now, so we're gonna teach these kids how to fight and like do Nazi stuff. It's set in 1944. And he's just like, so even when you first see him, you can kind of tell that he just knows like what's going to happen. Then eventually he's just like, all right, I'm just going to help you. It's like, well, yeah, what's I, the point? his character arc is coming to terms with the fact that he was a bad person and and the he whole, was hating for no reason. And the whole organization that he's like working for is kind of falling apart all around him and he just kind of knows it. And then eventually he just accepts it. Yeah, I that's why I like his character arc so much because he goes from literally one of the worst people in the world to this human who understands all of the wrongs he's done. And he's and at one least of the best characters in the movie. Yeah, I mean, he tries to make up for it knowing that he can never do it. And I feel like that's a really strong message to send out. And even like the final scene, I won't spoil it, but the final scene he's in, he just fully kind of comes. Yeah, his, just his like, arc completes. His, his last... The last thing he does in the movie is like just one final act of goodwill and it's like it's like yeah i never like i watched it when it came out but like i never really paid attention to all that stuff like i mean i kind of like saw it but it never really like occurred to me until i watched it again until like we watched it and i was like oh yeah, yeah. i was like i kind of started to notice when i was like yeah i was like this is, i get it now i was like i get it now it's like, a good message to convey that like you can keep making up for the bad stuff you've done in your life and help others through it. Even if you think or everyone else thinks you are literally the worst person in the world, the fact that you are starting to help people and changing yourself is good. It's a good message to send to people because especially nowadays, it's very easy to be, okay, you are this person and these are the things you've done in the past, so I have no reason to believe that you wouldn't do it again. Um, And the fact that you can show someone changing themselves is really important because yeah. we're human and we're not we're not these characters on book pages from you know bob books or junie b jones or something where we all have a singular character arc and it's basically getting through second grade or having a good day like, like there's so much more complexity to humanity it's like we're not two-dimensional like one-dimensional people who are just like yeah i'm a bad guy and i do bad things <laughs> i want all to blow the up the world because i want to blow up the world but sir you live on the world yes it's like i'm going hate. to blow it up <laughs> it's like i it's like i i hate people and blah 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 and that will never change at all i will never stop hating things it's like then, skeletor <laughs> yeah it's like not everybody is just it's also the whole like i guess cancel culture but i don't think it's a culture it doesn't make any sense to me but (laughs) it's just like the fact that you know people do not have star-studded lives people make mistakes and people will say stupid things and do stupid things and you know and sometimes you know you can say you can't change the stripes on a I mean, you can't change the spots on a leopard or whatever. And sometimes, you know, people change. It's like at the end of, it's like at the end of Rocky Four. It's like I can change, <laughs> you can change, 
anybody can change. <laughs> it's like, that's true. You know, it's like, yeah, Rocky Four is a corny movie, but I love it. But that's a true <laughs> line. It's like, anybody can change. You know, people are not always going to be the same person they were. You know, you know, there was probably times where some people are very angry people growing up, and then they get older and they mellow out. You know, not everyone's the same forever. Yeah. Um, so the first state that was annexed was Austria, which makes sense because Austro-Prussian. Um, it was part of the Prussian Empire anyways. Uh, and that's why everyone was kind of like, eh, this was 1935. And then from there, they started annexing and militarizing the Rhineland. Um, and Italy at first was like, hey, whoa, whoa, you can't do that to Austria. That's not cool. And then in 1936, uh, <laughs> Italy. When did Mussolini come into power? Was it during the 30s? Uh, I would say it was probably. Because he was, he was a nutball, that guy. <laughs> Is Mussolini in heaven? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. So he became prime minister in 1922, uh, but he was the fascist dictator from 1925 to 1945. So That's he was in power time. at this point for a long time. I do know Hitler. Like, he did not like Mussolini. No. They hated each other. Uh, and that actually shows right here where Italy was like, dude, no, it's Austria. Let them be Austrian. Uh, don't steal them. Um, don't bring them into Germany. Nobody wants to be a part of Germany. Um, <laughs> Germany's just like just like the kind of situation where it's just like some person that just like rubs you the wrong way. It's like they're not... You know, it's just like, I hate that guy. It's like anything, even when they're right in like what they say, they're just like, no, I hate you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> well, and then Italy, who was, you know, opposed to Germany, actually ended up agreeing with the Austrian or with Germany annexing Austria because they went to war. Um, and. Oh, sorry, give me one second here. And when they go to war. Everyone in the world turns against Italy, and Germany's the only one that doesn't turn against Italy. And Italy says, oh, hey, we should work together, Germany. <laughs> this was uh, 38, I believe, um, when they went into the second Italo-Abyssian War. Um, and that's where everyone turned against it. Uh, Germany and Italy also begin to form an alliance because they hate communism. Oh, that's... And that was a... They signed a pact together that was the anti-communist pact, the anti-comintern pact, which uh, basically stated, yes, you don't like communism, and neither do I. Let's work together to root out communism and hate it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like... And, like, Hitler hated, like, the fascists, but you kind of think about it, like, the whole, like, Nazi Germany was kind of... Oh, fascist. Yeah. They weren't. Uh, they were not socialists, despite the National Socialist Party. Or it's like they were just straight <laughs> up, just like, just fascist. <laughs> they were just like, just tyrannical in every sense of the word. It's like they didn't even help each other, man. They were just so from out. there. Um, Germany continues to annex uh, a whole bunch of different places until they finally decide. 
man, that Poland looks pretty good. And they, uh, they ate Poland, just... Took him up. Took him up right into Germany, which leads to the outbreak of World War II. Um, in 1939, several countries, including Canada, Cuba, and the United States, um, controversially decided to deny asylum to hundreds of German Jewish refugees. What? So, yeah. I bet you don't hear about that a lot. I heard about this one when I, I think was a kid. I, you know what? I studied history a lot as a kid. That's why I heard that, about it. I think I that does sound familiar because when we were learning about World War II, but I was like, I kind of forgot about that until now, if I'm being honest. But that's terrible. So the most famous thing that happened was the MS St. Louis um, was carrying a bunch of German uh, Jews to America and America denies them and uh, they try to go to other countries and in the end no country accepts the St. Louis and the St. Louis returns to Germany with most of its passengers on board but people were along the way jumping off into the ocean rather than going back to Nazi Germany that's terrible and at this time I mean a lot of the world really doesn't entirely understand what's happening like especially the Americans with the concentration camps when they came across the first one they were like what what is this what and a lot of the world it, it was so well hidden a lot of the just terrible things that were happening people thought at first they were just fighting Germany because they were taking over lands that they shouldn't take over and then by the end people really realized when they had boots on the ground in Germany just how bad it was for all of those Germans so uh, during this time um, the Spanish are doing civil war uh, Saudi Arabia gets a new king uh, and they unify the country into Saudi Arabia the Ethiopians um, are invaded by Italy and that's where the Germans and the Italians work together uh, the Germans don't actually fight, but they just said, we approve your war. Um, Japan is attacking China. Um, Gandhi leads nonviolent movements uh, in the Declaration of Independence of India um, in 1930. And then 1935, you see the uh, autonomy of India. So it gets emancipated from the... Uh, from Britain? From Britain, yeah. Um, Europe, that's pretty much what's happening. Um, America, that's what's happening. Uh, in 1931, we discussed this a little bit last time, Canada and other countries under the British Empire signed the Statute of Westminster in 1931, which basically says, we're going to stay a part of Britain. We recognize that you are the head official, but we can rule ourselves. So, like, Britain can step in. If Canada passed a law tomorrow that, like, banned people from being able to breathe, um, Britain can step in and say, hey, we revoke that law. It's like, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ban people from breathing. Um, so, uh, we know with the British Empire, a lot of the stuff that happens is 
like revolutions, the American Revolution, all that. But the Australians, not to be confused with the Austrians, who are now German at this time, uh, the Australians and the Canadians were among uh, a lot of nations, actually, who recognized or who said, okay, we're going to do this diplomatically. We recognize Britain for being our higher power. And uh, now we govern ourselves unless Britain steps in. And Britain doesn't like to do that because, you know, you, you don't want to annoy Australia and Canada and then have them, okay, we're going to start a revolution. And then America is going to go, revolution? We back the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> and that would just cause a lot of ordeal in the modern world. Um, let's see. Australia. Uh, oh, here we go. Some natural disasters that happened. 1931. Uh, China has one of the deadliest floods ever recorded. Woo. <laughs> 1935, Labor Day hurricane makes landfall in the Florida Keys, which is a Category 5 hurricane. Oh, wow. And the most intense hurricane to ever make landfall at the Atlantic. It hurt. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, that must be terrible. Hindenburg went boom, boom in 1937, killing 36 people. Uh... It leads to an investigation in the explosion and the disaster, uh, and it caused everyone was thinking, wow, these blimps are going to be the way of the future. This is how we move around. It's so cool. And after the explosion, everyone said, okay, I think we'll stick to planes. I don't think we want, you know, giant blimps flying around because hydrogen with is hydrogen. <laughs> it's highly flammable. So uh, it yeah. is remarkable how they were like, you know, just doing newsreel footage, it's like, oh, yes, the mighty Hindenburg, the Zeppelin of the future, and then it just Boom. blows up. <laughs> like, you can hear the surprise, and the guy's like, oh, my God, all the humanity. It's just like, oh, man. So we were talking about the Great Depression. Um, Dust Bowl, you've mentioned this quite a few times now. Or yeah. The Dirty 30s, what an interesting... Uh, the yeah. dirty, the dirty thirties, the roaring twenties, and the dirty thirties. Gross. Uh, a period of severe dust storms causing major ecological and agricultural damage. And you had the rise of the folks like Woody Guthrie. Oh, I thought you were about to say tumbleweeds. And then, well, he didn't start recording. Woody Guthrie didn't start recording stuff to like I think the forties, if I'm not mistaken. But he became kind of an american folk hero in some ways here's a fun little fact in 1932 there was a assassination plan to kill charlie chaplin when he <laughs> i know i was thinking the same who thing. was trying to kill charlie chaplin charlie chaplin arrived in japan on may 14 1932 uh, at a reception that was meant for him uh, activists were eager to talk with him uh, and listen to his politics and what he had to say. Uh, and basically, Chaplin's murder would facilitate war with the U.S. and anxiety in Japan and lead on to restoration in the name of the emperor. However, uh, the prime minister died and yeah, the prime minister was the one who was trying to kill Charlie Chaplin. And because he died, nobody did anything. And they also said, hey, 
we were trying to murder Charlie Chaplin. Uh, we surrender. And the police are like, we didn't even know this, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what happened there, to sum up in a less confusing way, um, Japanese prime minister plans to kill Charlie Chaplin in order to, because uh, the U.S. had annexed, or not annexed, had uh, embargoed Japan in trades and stuff and said, we're not doing this. And Japan's like, but we need your goods and services that you give us because, you know, powerhouse. And, uh, you know, they wanted to basically give a reason to go to war. And by killing such a big icon, they thought they'd be able to get away with it. Um, poor Charlie Chaplin. Had poor Charlie Chaplin. He was just having a good life. He was, he was going to his, you know, his reception I mean, I'm to glad talk he with got, people. I mean, he got, I'm glad he got out of there, but, like, why Charlie Chaplin of all people? Like, come on, man. That's the little tramp. You're going to kill, you're going to kill Charlie Chaplin? What? Uh. So, I'm just looking at people who were, uh, assassinated or attempted to be assassinated. A lot of these people I don't know about. Charlie Chaplin stood out to me. Um, did when did uh? Because I got Charlie Chaplin on the brain now. I'm thinking about like, did the Marx Brothers start doing stuff in the 30s or was that the 40s? I know they were like vo- I know they were around much longer because they were like vaudeville. But I mean like I want to say making 20s. movies. Uh, well, they were doing vaudeville in the 20s. So were the uh, the Three Stooges. They were in town in town they were around from 1905 to 1949 so probably i mean yeah they were around i know they were definitely big on vaudeville but i'm wondering like when all like their famous uh stuff came out like you know like duck soup and like horse feathers and stuff like that and a night at the opera and a day at the races yeah that's the 30s 1933 is duck soup gotta watch those movies because i do know in one of them there's like the mirror gag and stuff like that yeah (laughs) um so economically we've already gotten into it a little bit but uh soviet union begins to just rapidly industrialize um and then prohibition is uh appealed or repealed uh in 1933 which is the 21st amendment um and droughts happen, which cause Dust Bowl, technology, various other things. I don't think there's too much left in here that we haven't discussed. Um, oh, this is fun. We never got into our aviation and sports facts that we oh, normally yeah. get into. So uh, sports facts in the 1930s, uh, Soccer World Cup is founded. Uh, and the... An inaugural contest was hosted by Uruguay, and they were also the first nation to win the trophy. And they beat Argentina 4-2. to two. Uh, Wizard of Oz, 1939, Hindenburg. Clothes styles became a lot less nice because, uh, you know, people couldn't afford the Roaring Twenties suits and all yeah, that. Yeah, like the zoot suits and stuff like that. Uh, in ni- the 1930s had incredible accomplishments and tragic news in the world of aviation. 1933, Wiley Post became the first person to fly solo around the world. Amelia Earhart was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. And, uh, 
you know, proceeded to disappear. Uh, in 1937, I believe, yeah, disappeared over the Pacific Ocean that she was trying to fly over in 1937. Was she trying to do like a? She was trying to do like a whole like flight around the world, wasn't she? Yep. I can't believe yeah, that. That must be like. Just, can you imagine? It's like you just you're flying across the flying all over the world. It's like I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make history. And then you just disappear. Yep. Never I, to be found. Never to be found. Eaten by sharks. Who knows? Something. Who knows? I've heard all sorts of crazy theories, and it's just <laughs> like I. It's like the mystery is better. <laughs> Honestly, it is. The uh, Howard Hughes broke posts around the world flight time um, by oh. flying it in ninety-one hours, which beats. Howard Hughes, or sorry, which beats Post, who had done it in almost four full days. Howard Hughes is a very fascinating character, <laughs> especially like in his later years. He's he is very interesting. <laughs> um, like, cause I think he's most like he did do all these like crazy aviation accomplishments, but then people started to more known for the fact that he just kind of became like a crazy recluse and stuff like that <laughs> and like was like wearing Kleenex boxes on his feet and stuff like that and just like it's like and it's weird <laughs> and also building a giant plane out of wood that doesn't really fly the spruce goose <laughs> <laughs> um the Hoover Dam was completed in 1936. Um, it's originally being the Boulder Dam. Uh, Ty Cobb, Walter Johnson, Christy Mathewson, Babe Ruth, and Honus Wagner? Honus Wagner? Honus Wagner? Okay, I did say it right. Uh, they became the first inductees into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1936. Hmm. Hindenburg goes that's a pretty boom, strong boom, that's 37. Pretty, it's a pretty strong lineup of uh, folks. Got Ty Cobb in there. And yeah. Like Babe Ruth, especially. So, uh, going back a few months, Jesse Owens wins four gold medals during the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. That'll show them. That'll show them. And I think that's pretty much it for our uh, quick little sports history that we've got i don't think i have yeah i think i've gotten pretty much everything first woman ah here we go first woman u.s senator hattie caraway of arizona hmm. and then annie buck rogers dick tracy popeye superman gone with the wind mickey mouse snow white wizard of oz all these stuff we've talked about you got dick tracy too yeah. popeye and Superman? The uh, the final thing, I suppose, would be the leading to discovering splitting of the atom. Uh, Loch Ness Monster came about during this time period, and Pluto was discovered. Ah, oh, that's nice. Yay! <laughs> Yay, Pluto! Uh, yes, but that is actually... Discovering Pluto, and then also around the same time, you have Werner Heisenberg trying to... Figure out how to blow up the world for the Nazis. 
Um, so that's our that's our 1930s history and facts there. Our our brief little, you know, two hour long. Nah, not quite two hour. All the episodes have been hitting about one hour for 45. Um, yeah, our brief little two hour long of uh, just facts of the decade. So hopefully it was a little bit informative there. I, I learned a few things in there. I did too, honestly. Um, next week we're going to get into, I mean. You know, the dirty 30s I always thought was not that exciting of a decade, but a lot of stuff happened here that set up for what happened in the first half of the 40s. So it, it ended up being a lot more interesting of a decade than I thought. Yeah, it's um, like equal parts very dour and depressing, but also like then you have like entertainment just flourishing in such big ways. I mean, if everything sucks and you lose all your money, the Nazis are starting, the Dust Bowl's happening, you can't grow anything, you're going to want to sit down and watch a movie to escape from the world. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't disagree with that. Got all <laughs> these nice movie palaces and stuff like that. Now we just go to boring movie theaters. Ugh, boring, smelly movie theaters. The second you walk in, you go, yeah, I think I'll fork over 30 bucks for some popcorn, and then you eat a quarter of it. <laughs> we went and saw... Uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Was that good? Yes, I liked it a lot. But uh, <laughs> my roommate bought a large popcorn, and <laughs> he sits down next to me and says, okay, well, if you want to have any of this, you can. I said, you know, I will probably have a little bit, but i got to control myself because it's just fat, all that butter and salt on there. And he's like, all right, well, I'll probably have it done by the halfway point of the movie. Well, I ended up eating more popcorn than he did, and we didn't even get halfway done with it. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I don't know why. It was just he didn't want to have that. But, yeah, a lot of money for a tub of popcorn that you didn't eat. And then we brought it home because we are thinking maybe we want to have a little bit of something or whatever. And uh, it sat there for a day on our counter, and we're like, I guess it's just time to throw this away because we don't want this popcorn. You know, I knew somebody that used to, like, they want they they like they liked eating like two like day old or two day old pop Ooh. movie theater popcorn. Yikes! And I was like, like they like it's like oh yeah I love that stuff. And I was like, it's like really really. <laughs> it's like you're. It's like I'll, I'll, all right. <laughs> Alrighty, so we're gonna go ahead and end that there a little bit before a hundred or a hundred and forty five an hour and forty two minutes. A hundred and forty five hours. Oh. I can't imagine doing a 145-hour podcast about the 1930s of all things. Like, I'm sure we could do something on the 40s or 50s or 60s, literally any other decade besides just, the 30s. You just watch a whole bunch of 30s movies. You could you could just watch Gone with the Wind a bunch of times. Just, that, oh. that movie's like four hours long. Yeah, it was like 358 or 57. I, Yikes. I've not seen Gone with the Wind. I should probably watch it just for the it's, historical significance of it. I've seen bits and pieces of it to the point to know that I don't want to watch it. Not not that it's like a bad movie. It's just it's uh it reminds me of Sound of Music. And it's really really hit or miss with a lot of people. It's generally considered a classic, but for me Sound of Music and Gone with the Wind are both those types of things where if I sit down to want or to watch them, I'll just turn it off after 2 minutes because I'm not invested in the plot or the characters. It's like, yeah, and like, I don't know. I like, 
the stuff's off the beaten path. Like there are classics and stuff like that, but you know, it's like it's like you can watch Gone with the Wind when in the same decade you can also watch like Dracula or Frankenstein. Ah, uh, like, yes. I'm gonna go with those two. It's like those two are like just awesome, and they're also not four hours, four hours. long. <laughs> and that's the that's commitment issues that I have too. Is I like now there are movies that are really long that I will just watch like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like <laughs> that movie is almost three hours long but I swear it is the fastest three hours of any movie I've ever seen it was one of my favorite movies ever <laughs> well, that's why I do a yearly Lord of the Rings extended marathon party. I haven't seen the extended version I haven't I I did watch like the uh like so I watched the first one I watched the second one. I don't know if they were the extended versions or not. And I watched like some of the third one, but I haven't watched them. And I just, I know I got to. <laughs> the, uh, there was there was a scene. I guess we're not gonna hit an hour forty-five. There was a scene in the second one. Uh, well, actually, Saruman is the main villain, Christopher Lee, for the first and second one. And you know, the only person to ever know Tolkien that was alive on there but and he was a he was a he was a nazi hunter in in world war ii he was the inspiration yep. for james bond and uh with christopher lee they took out saruman's death in the theatrical cut of um why of it because so in the books saruman escapes isengard and goes and he basically becomes dictator of hobbiton so when they finish everything uh saruman goes back or Frodo and Sam go back and find that all their friends in the peace that they had known and loved have been enslaved and destroyed. Um, That's terrible. Did they do that yeah. in the movie? No. <laughs> they uh, they have him standing on top of the tower yelling down at Gandalf and the Fellowship, and the Fellowship's just, like, yelling back up at him. And I think Legolas fires an arrow or something. Um, but basically what ends up happening is Saruman's they're like, what are you going to do now? You're standing on top of your tower. Like, what What are you going to do? You lost. And Saruman's like, ah, Sauron good. He powerful. And Wormtongue's like, oh, yeah, we did lose. So he stabs Saruman in the back, and Saruman falls off the tower and does, like, a couple barrel rolls and then impales himself. And Christopher Lee and, uh, I was about to say Tolkien, and uh, Christopher... I can't remember his name. Who who was in charge of that? Who did that? Oh no! Uh, I put my laptop away. Who? The Peter Jackson. Peter, That's who it was. Yeah. Um, I thought you were talking about um Gandalf, and I was like, isn't that Ian McKellen? Yeah. No, I, I was thinking Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson and Christopher Lee were arguing with each other a bunch, so like Lord of the Rings basically broke their relationship, and then he came back to do the Hobbits, um, because you know. They they basically fixed their friendship, but he got really mad that he was cut out of the theatrical cut. He's he said, "I'm the main villain of the first two movies, and you don't show an end to my character arc." So uh, that is kind <laughs> that of was odd. Peter Jackson's response was, "All right, so he's gonna fall off the tower after getting stabbed in the back and impale himself in front of everyone, and they're just gonna walk past him." <laughs> um, <laughs> Christopher Lee was a, he was a bit upset about that um, quite a bit upset about that um, but he said okay at least there's an ending at least they beat me 
And then they put the ending into the beginning of Return of the King. And he goes, why would you beat... Like, the entire second movie is about fighting and defeating Isengard. Why would you put Saruman's death at the beginning of the third movie where there's a new villain introduced instead of the end of the second movie where you beat the fil- the villain that's been holding them <laughs> back for the past two movies. And Peter Jackson was like, well, audiences didn't like it and they thought it was a bad ending. It's like, just because. Yeah, and Christopher Lee was like, what do you mean? I'm the bad guy. <laughs> they didn't like the bad guy getting... I mean, I don't, I, I don't entirely understand what the issue was i think it was also like critics and stuff were like this might be a little bit too violent or you know he just fall and impale himself in front of everyone it's lord of the rings lord <laughs> of the rings i mean you know if they did it in like game of thrones or something and they're like no we got to cut it out for being too violent everyone would be like eh lord of the rings at least you know the violence isn't as much as a lot of modern media so you know there's swords and people getting decapitated and stuff like mouth of sauron and Return of the King gets his head chopped off, but like, you know, it's not, it's not as deathly as uh, in, in modern media. Um, some of the modern movies that fall into the same fantasy category. I'm interested to see Amazon's Lord of the Rings and see how uh, how bloody they make that. They're doing their own. They're they're doing Lord of the Rings again. Uh, they're doing stuff on the Similarian. Do you know what that is? No. When did when did the those Bible. books come out? Ah, uh, they were out. They because for... I know they came out in like it was it was like the thirties or something like when the Hobbit came out, right? Yeah, the Hobbit Hobbit was pretty early. Um, oh, because like that that's perfect for our subject. <laughs> hey, there you go. Nineteen fifty four is the Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit came. I don't even know when the Hobbit came out. It came out so long ago. Uh, I was surprised when I found out when it came out. The Hobbit was released in 1937. Wow. The Hobbit, also known as There and Back Again. The Hobbit is a great book. I haven't read the other Lord of the Rings book, but I really liked The Hobbit. Just smacking my microphone. (laughs) Yes, uh, I didn't realize the timeline on this. Wow. Uh, So you've got The Hobbit, 1937. 20 years later, you get The Fellowship of the Ring in 1954. 20 years later, you get The Similarian. 1977. I can't imagine, like, just being, you know, in the 30s, and then you find this book. It's like, hmm, what's this? The Hobbit? And then you read it, and you're just like, whoa, what is this? An invisible ring, a golem, and dragon, and gold, and dwarves? And it's just, like, a man that can turn into a bear? And it's like, what is this? The Pro- Hobbit is a banned book. Mm-hmm. Um because it's funny because J.R.R. Tolkien has a lot of Christian elements uh, no matter even though he argued that he didn't have it there was so much like Christian elements in Lord of the Rings uh, the Christians uh, the Christians all of them no um, a group in New Mexico banned The Hobbit because it had themes of friendship and striving against adversity uh, or sorry the themes of friendship and striving against adversity were lost uh, among those who were looking for the witchcraft and satanic themes that the book also had, such as discussing the necromancer, or the necromancer was uh, Sauron in his early days back in Dol Guldur. But uh, I can't believe 
they they basically it's like the book is literally like just all about just like yeah having friends sticking together and exactly. like overcoming odds like that's literally what the entire book is just about like that's like the main focus is just like at first like there's this guy he's like I don't want to go on a quest I just want to stay home and then he's just like you know and then slowly but surely he's like these guys are my friends and you know yeah and, well you know and, and then he comes back and he writes there and back again and it's basically yeah this was like his account of events yeah he loved it so much and that's what he says in lord of the rings um he just he misses it that's why he went and lived with the elves in fellowship uh but anyways we're hitting we're, we're now really starting to hit that two hour mark uh gonna have to stop us now so you've been listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card, in Otterbine. I was about to say Otterbine, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> in Westerville, Ohio, uh, at Otterbine University. This has been Retrospection Radio 2 Hour. <laughs> I am Noah. And I am Nate. And I will see you on the flip side. I'll see you next week when we get into the 40s. It'll be eventful. <laughs> <laughs>